No, I wasn't planning that. I just wanted to say, it's just me, everyone. I am here now. We'll get to these guys in just a moment. I will, because when you're, when you're up here, you got to shoot your shot. So if you had the microphone, you'd do it too. Mom, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> they gave me a microphone. Everybody, give a chance. You go ahead and say thank you to your mom. Say happy Mother's Day, everybody. We'll say it that way. Yeah, she's not here physically. It's great. Now, I'm excited to dive into this series, Too Good, um, for a number of reasons. It's really in in connection and in conjunction with the conversation that we started uh, last month with this series, Just One. And what we feel like the Lord is calling us to as a church and as a community in this season is really the Great Commission, but in a bite-sized uh, chunk. It's clear that the, the scriptures make it clear that the, the followers of Jesus are called to go into all the world and preach the gospels, making disciples of all nations. And so uh, we, we feel like the Lord is calling us in this season to trust him to do what only he can do, and that is transform people's lives, for, for people to come and receive the salvation that only Jesus can give. And uh, it's been astounding because uh, we, we just celebrated more baptisms this last, earlier this month. We have more signed up for June. Uh, the Lord is continuing to do this work. And the just one conversation was really a launching pad into the season that we're in. And this series, Too Good, is to continue that on. This series is focusing on the goodness and kindness of God's character and nature. And really when it comes to sharing the gospel, we have to begin with who God is. Uh, Because for us, what we want to lay before the community here is to say that the gospel, the good news of the gospel is not just good because it's a good message. The good news of the gospel, first and foremost, is good because it comes from the mouth and the mind and dream of a very good God. And and when we consider his dealings with mankind, when we consider that he gives us an undeserved grace, that he gives us an unrelenting love, an unstoppable hope, an unmerited favor, we have to say that's not just a good God, that is a God who is just too good to us. And and today I wanna talk about why it's so important to understand that the good news of the gospel begins with the truth that God is incredibly good and he wants you and I not just to know that, but to live it out and know it in here. And so uh, here's where I'd wanna begin. I wanna start in Exodus chapter 34, verses six to seven. And this is God revealing himself to Moses, uh, one of his prophets, as he's just, Moses has just led the people out of Israel. They've been enslaved by the Egyptians and they're false gods. And God's saying, I need you to know the God that you are dealing with. And so when when Moses asked God, tell me who you are, this is what Exodus uh, chapter 34 says. It says this, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses asked the question, God, tell me who you are. And he says, I am Yahweh, Yahweh. And I wanna focus today just on that very first word, compassionate. What strikes me about this, and it's so important, if, if you study the scriptures, there's two kind of laws that, that, that strike me about this. The first one uh, is the law of three. Uh, essentially, if a word is repeated three times in a row, there's a significant emphasis on it, saying, hey, this is important for you to know. And if we see in scripture something that is stated more than three times, it's God's way of saying, hey, the Bible is all true, but I need you to really know this truth. 
And what's interesting about that single paragraph of who God says that he is, uh, many scholars debate if it's the most quoted uh, paragraph in scriptures, but, but they would say it is definitely one of the most uh, stated things in the scripture. In other words, God is saying, for mankind, one of the big things that I need you to know is I need you to know the kind of God that I am. And then the second one is the law of first mention, which I think is fascinating because it's essentially saying whenever a word is first mentioned in the scriptures, again, it means, hey, this is important, pay attention, or the, the, the first order of things. And so God says, hey, do you wanna know what kind of God I am? I am Yahweh, Yahweh. What's the first thing he says? I need you to know I'm the compassionate one. And what's fascinating to me is, is because when God revealed that to Moses, this is the first time a God like that had ever been uh, uh, met in the sense that they came out of Egypt and the Egyptian gods of that day were not at all compassionate. They were not sympathetic to the cares of men. In fact, they were incredibly apathetic. They didn't care about men at all. The men were there to exist to uh, appease their anger. And if they ever got into the affairs of men, it was a bad thing. And God is saying, no, 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 I am not like any other God. These are false gods, they are weaker gods. And that's why the plagues came so that God could say, I am mighty and more powerful than all of these gods. But what's fascinating, again, what's fascinating to me is God, when he introduces himself, he's not saying, talking about how he's omnipresent or all powerful, or he says, the first attribute that I want you to know, the first impression that I want you to have about me is Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate one. And here's why, this has struck me for this series and why I, want to, I would just wanna focus on that word compassion because it is so incredibly unique. Compassion, by its definition, it requires somebody to be in pain or in hurt. In other words, for somebody to, to operate in compassion, it's because they've witnessed a pain in somebody else and they're saying, I want to do something about it. God is saying, I want the first thing for you to know is not that I'm some indifferent God, not that I'm some all-powerful God, but I want you to know Yahweh, Yahweh is here to help you in your time of need. And so, so there's three words that I wanna talk about. One being compassion, but just to build up to understand the power and the profoundness of this word compassion, there's two other words that I wanna talk about. I wanna talk about sympathy and I wanna talk about empathy just for a moment. And I know these are words that we're familiar with, but I, they build off of one another, one becoming more powerful than the next. And to understand how incredible compassion is as not just a, a thing that God does, but he's saying, this is who I am. It's helpful to know these other words. So the first word is sympathy. And that word sympathy, it means to understand or to be made aware of. It's essentially saying, oh, I see somebody's pain. I see the space that somebody is in and I can understand that they're in pain. It's why when somebody is grieving or mourning a loss and they start crying, we're not confused by that. We say, oh, they're in a space of grieving. I understand why they're crying. If I could, if I could use the, the analogy this way, it would be as if you, you saw your friend doing some construction work. And as he's driving a nail, he hits his hand with a hammer and he screams out, perhaps says some choice words that we're not gonna say on Mother's Day in a church, that'd be crazy. And he hits his hand and he screams out. And while that's a very jarring response, you go, oh no, I, I, but I understand. I, 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 know what that, I know what that means when you hit your hand like that. I understand the pain. Sympathy, it's powerful because as human beings, for us to step out of our own shoes and to consider the pain of somebody else, that's powerful but there's even a more powerful word than that, and that's empathy. And empathy is a word that's not just understanding or awareness of somebody's pain, it's also feeling their pain. This is incredibly powerful for human beings. 
It's, it's the understanding of I can put myself in somebody else's shoes. Not only do I understand their pain, but if I witness somebody hit their hand with a hammer, it's as if I can feel it as if it were my own hand. If I witness it, scientifically they say it's uh, mirror neurons. I watched this video, we don't have time to watch the video. It's this fascinating illusionist. He, he just wants to explain this idea of empathy and mirror neurons. Essentially it's this idea that you can trick your brain into feeling something that's not your experience because your imagination takes your mind over. And so what he does is he, he took somebody's hand and he, and he sits almost like at a carnival booth in front of them and he says, hey, just put your hand here, your left hand here. And then he says, now take your right hand and they're gonna put it behind a wall kind of covering it so you can't see it. And then they attach a dummy arm right in between the divide so you you've completely can't see your right hand. You have this fake hand here and, you're, and you've got your left hand right here. And what he does is he takes two paintbrushes and he just starts painting on the fake hand and the hand that's hidden. And people start watching the thing. He said, just concentrate on that, that fake hand. And their mind starts getting amazed because they can begin to feel it. They can begin to feel like that's, that's my hand. And out of, out of nowhere, as he's talking and explaining mirror neurons, he just takes a hammer and he just slams the hand, the fake hand as hard as he can. This is the kind of illusionist that I like. <laughs> like, not just magic, but like, let's cause some pain. And what was shocking to me is that this is the power of empathy, is it caused, it caused people to recoil back in anticipation of the pain because they felt it before. It's that idea of if I watch my friend hit their hand with a hammer, my mind goes to when I did it myself to my own hand, or I slammed my hand in a car door or, or something heavy fell on it. It's the imagination, the ability to feel pain, and this is incredibly powerful. Now, our incredibly good God is sympathetic and empathetic towards us. Hebrews chapter four, verse 14 to 16 says it plainly like this. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize, some translations say sympathize, with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we, may have, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What strikes me about this is God says, I am sympathetic and I am empathetic. This is something that I do. But when God says, I want you to know who I am, he doesn't talk about being sympathetic or empathetic. He says, no, 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 I am Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate one and compassion is more powerful than sympathy and empathy put together. Compassion, in a sense, is empathy and sympathy in action. Compassion means this. Compassion means taking action, not just understanding or awareness of somebody's pain, not just feeling deeply their pain, but when witnessing somebody in their pain, God rushes into this space, and his number one goal is, I am here to alleviate your pain, to shoulder your pain. We have a God who rushes in. He doesn't recoil back from us that when we've messed up, that when we're hurting and that we're in pain, when we're in a dark space in our lives and it feels like it's just us and we're all alone, God is saying, no, 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 I am Yahweh. I draw near and near and near. When I witness pain, I move. And so the question that I wanna, I wanna just ask us and we're gonna talk about what does it mean to operate with compassion today? The question that I wanna ask first and foremost is this, do you know this God? Do you know this God? When I talk about the compassion one, and, I, and I, this is the most quoted paragraph in scripture. And so when I say, do you know God? I don't mean, have you heard this statement about who he is? I mean, do you know him? If I could ask a few questions to just help you just say, I don't know, do I know this God? The first one is this. 
when you've really messed up, like really messed up, and, and you know for a fact, there's no like waiting for the facts to come out, you know for a fact you've messed up and you're in a space of just, I'm, I screwed up. When you're in this space, do you feel a rush of condemnation or is the first rush you feel the rush of compassion? Because if you know this God, the moment you mess up, the first thing that he wants you to experience is the first part of his name, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate one. Another way, do you know, do you know this God? When you're hurting or you're in pain, do you feel like God is very far away? You, you're hurting and God, God doesn't seem to care. Do you feel like God is very far away? Or do you feel the God who rushes in and is very near in this space? Because the Bible says in Psalms that he is near to the brokenhearted. He saves and rescues those who need his salvation, those who are poor in spirit. This one, this one keeps me up at night. This is the one that I constantly have to look in the mirror and ask myself, Tyler, today, are you paranoid about the other shoe falling? Like you're in a winning streak, too many good days, you had just a bunch of good days, and you're like, but today's the day that something bad's gonna happen. Are you expecting, are you paranoid with bad things, or are you expecting that God's goodness is around every corner chasing you down? Do you know this God? And, and for me, my wife asked me this question a few, a few sermons back, and it just stuck in my head anytime that I preach, is going, what do you want for the people that are listening to any message you deliver. Here's what I want. I want you to know him. I want when you are in your darkest, most painful space, I, the gospel comes alive. It's not just a message, but it's a tangible expression of God's identity. He says, I am the compassionate one, the one who takes action in this space. What's even bigger than that, where I wanna take a, a step further, is we're gonna, we're gonna talk about this God of compassion, hopefully that we just continually know him more, but it doesn't even stop there because he's not just a good God, he's too good of a God. He doesn't just want to show you that he's the God of compassion. I wanna preach a message that's called the compassionate ones because you and I, mankind, we were made in the image and likeness of God and that his dream for you is not just that you would receive his compassion, but that compassion would flow out of your life and that you would live a life filled with compassion. As we talk about the Just One series, uh, you know, go and preach to all nations, that's a big thing. So we're saying, hey, instead of preaching to all nations, what does it look like to preach just to one person in your sphere of influence? What does it look like for you to love somebody well? And so I wanna ask you, what would it look like, Northlands, if we took compassion, if we took action for just one person in our life? But there are people who are in significant pain and hurt and what they need is not just a good message and not just to know that it comes from the mouth of a good God, but that God has made ambassadors to make this appeal, that he has made good messengers of the gospel. And that you and I are called to be these kinds of messengers, not just goodness from what we say, but how we live our lives and how we rush in to treat people in this space. And so uh, that, that's where I want us to go today. If I could say it um, this way is, yeah, the question that I just wanna leave us with is what does it look like for us to take action for our one? To be compassionate ones like our Father. As we continually delve in and ask that question, do we know this God? As we consider who God was, how Jesus operated with mankind, let's also plug ourselves into that space because Jesus calls us to be his disciples, to be like him. 
So the first thing that I want us to talk about is when it comes to uh, what does it mean to be compassionate ones, let's do what God did as he said, Yahweh, Yahweh, my identity, the compassionate ones, let's embrace an identity. We are called to be reconcilers. What does it mean to be compassionate ones, to take action to somebody's hurt and pains? It means to be a reconciler. And I love this passage of scripture. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there or we're gonna have it up on the screen. Matthew 9, verse 36 to 38. Jesus says this. He's with his disciples and he, he moves, he takes action with his compassion, but he's, he's preaching a message of compassion and he's living out with action these things. But before he moves in compassion, he diagnoses the need, the hurt, the space that people are in where they're in great pain. And he says this, it's fascinating. He says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus has sympathy and empathy. He, he witnesses the crowd and he begins to diagnose the problem. He's becoming aware of their pain and he can feel that pain. Jesus is not just our good shepherd. Jesus is also the one who became like a sheep for us. He feels our pain, the rejection and the betrayal that you felt, he has felt that as well. He can connect with our humanity. And so he looks at the crowd and he goes, oh, let me just diagnose the problem. Oh, they're, they're helpless and harassed. And he goes, oh, they're, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And in John 10, 11, what does he do? He moves with compassion and he, he steps in the crowds. He preaches this for his entire ministry of three years to the sheep who are helpless and harassed. He goes, I am a good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus diagnoses the problem and then he steps into the space as an antidote. And he says, oh, you guys are like harassed sheep. Guess what? I'm a good shepherd. This is who I am. And see, I'm challenged by this because I think, it's, I think this is a very practical step for us to understand what does it mean to be reconciled to God. Jesus intuitively knew not just how to heal people, but he understood how to analyze the problem and to step in and give them exactly what they needed. And then he calls us and commissions us to do the exact same thing as a reconciler. So I wanna read a passage of scripture and then I wanna talk just how we do this practically like Jesus did. Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, verse 17 uh, to 21. This is uh, for me, if you say, Tyler, talk to me about the grace of God. This verse always comes to the top of mind because it's just grabbed a hold of me like that. And I'll, I'll show you the phrase, why it's so shocking to me. It says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then this big phrase, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus goes, what I did, I want you to be doing. And this is why, this is, you're like, okay, I can do what Jesus did, but just listen to what he's calling us to do. This is, for me, shocking grace. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And then this phrase just grabs me, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. What's the message of reconciliation? For you to look somebody in the eye and go, hey, just so you know, your sins are forgiven. Can we do that? The Bible says so. Just do what the Bible says. You'll never go wrong. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. 
This is important. The compassionate one, the too good God gives us a message that is profound and then he calls us to be messengers, his ambassadors. He's going, make your appeal as if I were the one making the appeal. I'm giving you a truth and I want you to deliver it as I would deliver it. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does this look like practically for us? It means that when we are out in our city, when we are out in our community, we have the ability to go, oh, my neighbor, my kid's coach, my teacher, a friend, a classmate. Oh, sympathy, empathy, oh, they're lonely. I'm Tyler and I'm a good friend and good friends walk with you in times of pain and hurt. Oh, oh, we diagnose, they're, oh, they're fearful. Oh, I, I'm Tyler, I'm of good courage because I come from a God who empowers me for life and godliness and I want you to walk with me. See, to be a reconciler, we preach this message with our words, your sins are not counted against you because they were counted against the cross that Christ hung on. And so therefore, when God looks at the world, he is after reconciliation and he uses Jesus as the way to make that happen and he uses us to be the messengers of Christ. And so when we step into this space, we step into the coffee shops, we step into the dinners and we, and we say, hey, I'm aware of the needs of people, but I'm also very much aware of the fact that I have been empowered by a too good God with all that I need to help alleviate the pains of those who are hurting and broken in my life. Not just with a message, but a way to live our lives in action. We are reconcilers and we rush into this space. We don't recoil from that space. Oftentimes, when, and this is just, this, maybe, maybe this is just me, uh, but when we see somebody in great pain or in great hurt, perhaps it's a hospital visit or even a funeral, uh, we struggle to rush into this space because we're going, I'm not really sure what to say or to do. And I remember when I was maybe eight or nine years old, uh, we had a, a, a couple, an elderly uh, couple, and our, it was John and Rebecca, and, they, and John was just such a kind man. He, we, we'd play in the yard, and he was a gardener, and every time that we'd run by, he would just cheer us on and was super kind. And uh, be, John, just old age, he, he passed, and this was one of the first funerals that I remember. And, uh, and I, I, said, I told my mom, I said, I don't want to go to the funeral. I, I don't want to go. And she, she just said, well, what, what's the problem? She goes, I, I just don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And my mom, she said this, and it just reminds me once again, uh, when I'm in that space of a hospital visit or stepping into a funeral, and I'm not sure what to say, my mom just said, she goes, Tyler, adults feel that way too. We oftentimes don't know what to say when people are feeling great hurt and pain. And she just said, you know what I found to do? Is it's important for me just to be there, just to be present in this space, to shoulder pain with people. And I, and I found this to be the best practice. I, I have found that me in silence but present is far more better than an inevitable silence that is there in my absence. And so that when it comes to people's hurt and pain, we think, man, I gotta know more scripture. I gotta know about the Bible. I gotta make sure that I'm preaching the gospel. And, and I, I would just call us to be a reconciler. Our first action is to rush into the space when we see hurt and pain. That is the first impression that people should feel in our lives. First and foremost, I'm here. And whatever they need in that moment, become that for them. They need a friend, be a friend. Be someone who is loving, who is generous, who is filled with joy, who is filled with peace and self-control. We are the, we are the ones who rush into this space. We, we have we just heard more and more prayers about salvations and about revival coming. But again, I'm just reminded that compassion 
by its definition, it requires that somebody is in hurt and pain, which tells me that if we are gonna be the compassionate ones, that it's not gonna be those who are whole and have their lives together that we demonstrate compassion with. It will be those who need us most, which then tells me that revival, it's gonna become something that happens in the messiness of the streets and not in the clean halls of a church. That we are called not to try and squeeze the world into this building, but that we are the called out ones, that we are the compassionate ones, that we rush in, that we press into the mess, that the church was created first and foremost to be a hope of the world. And so we are going to not recoil and go back because we were made in the image and likeness of the compassionate one, the one who rushes in to the space. So on the flip side of this coin, and I'll, and I'll close this with this, with this last thought, this, um, if, if it means to be a reconciler, to, to preach a message of reconciliation and to act and to rush into the space, then the flip side of this coin and operating with compassion is another powerful strength that we have, and it's this, it's called to use restraint. In other words, there's a time for us, as Ecclesiastes says, to speak and a time to be silent. There's a time for us to speak compassion and to preach compassion and reconciliation and to act with reconciliation. And we've also been given the power to restrain and to choose what not to say and how not to act. This is a striking to me. He said, Tyler, you're preparing messages. This, this point for me was the one that I meditated on and marinated on the most, just continually considered this, this principle and truth. And it came from this uh, paragraph that I read in a book called Boundaries by Dr. Henry Clouds. I, I, can't, I can't recommend this book enough. It's all about relationships and having healthy relationships, any kind of relationship, even the crazy uncle relationships. Uh, buy the book. I'm reading it. We're reading it with the staff. It's my second time reading it. It has tremendously helped me. But this paragraph uh, just has struck me so much. And, and it's this, and it's talking about the power that we possess, the strength that we have in restraining ourselves. He's talking about being a victim. He says this, while reactive victims are primarily known by their against stances, proactive people do not demand rights, they live them. Power is not something you demand or deserve. It is something that you express. And then he says this, the ultimate expression of power is love. In other words, if you are strong, it's easy for you to dominate and to express power against somebody who is weaker than you. But what he is saying, it's not just the ability to express one's power, but it's the ability to hold one's power back for the sake of somebody else. He says this, proactive people are able to, uh, sorry, so I'll say it again. The ultimate expression of power is love. It is the ability not to express power, but to restrain it. Proactive people are able to love others as themselves. They have mutual respect. They are able to die to self and not return evil for evil. They have gotten past the reactive stance of the law and are able to love and not react. What's striking to me about this when we talk about dealing with people's hurts, we can go, oh, I, I, I wanna be the person who rushes in to alleviate somebody's hurts, but, God, but Jesus takes it a step further than that. He goes, I don't just want you to rush into the space of somebody's hurt. I also want you to rush into the space of somebody who directly opposes you. And this is, again, compassion is not needed for those who are easy to love. Compassion is for those who are hurting and broken. And so what do we do when we have two people of, uh, of opposing convictions? Somebody who is completely against what you and I believe as sacred truths that we see in scripture. What do you do with somebody who goes, no, I completely believe that you're wrong. What do you do when somebody of a, a opposing conviction not only uh, uh, disagrees with you, but, but accuses you of intolerance? See, when it comes to this truth, this, Jesus says this field 
in between us is plentiful for harvest. But we have the power not just to rush into space to alleviate pain, we also have the power to choose what we fill in this space that would divide us. Jesus, Jesus as, he, as he talks about what does it mean to walk with somebody, to walk with somebody peaceably, he continually talks to us about a, a fruit of the Spirit, which is tolerance. It's called forbearance. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Patience is uh, uh, translated also forbearance. And you know what the three words that describe forbearance are? Patient self-control, restraining yourself, and tolerance. And you go, Tyler, why, why is this so important? Because we have the ability in this space not just to act in a compassionate way, but when we are struggling to express our conviction, we have the ability to restrain anything that is hostile or angry or frustrating. To better under, explain, can I get real for just a moment and as respectful as possible? And this is me preaching to myself as well. You go, Tyler, what does this look like practically? It means that we were called by God to be good messengers of his compassion and gospel, not to be social justice warriors on a keyboard. Russell, come on, stop that. <laughs> Calm down. As respect, and I go, this is, I, I struggle here too. It, it is far too easy instead of rushing into this space to go into a space that's in the comfort of our own homes and to say things for the sake of saying, well, I'm just holding fast to my convictions. And you just send that into the space. And you go, well, Tyler, I can't control how people react. I go, but let's talk about the biblical principle of sowing and reaping. If we, if we blast out a comment and we go, there's nothing, nothing harsh in there, but then we look at our wall and comments start exploding with hostility and anger. I have to believe that somewhere, something that we sowed on the keyboard is now reaping in a space that God has called us to be harvesters and laborers in not filled with hostility. We have the power not just to demonstrate and express love, we have the ability to, to, to restrain ourselves. And I, I get it, we live in a culture that, that throws around the word intolerance like crazy. We, the, the church has been accused of, you're just intolerant because you disagree. Let's just, let's just lay before you, what do we mean by, what is actually intolerance? Because the whole cancel culture and all that nonsense is, is crazy to me. So let's just quickly dev, de, define uh, intolerance because intolerance is not you disagreeing with somebody. For you to look them straight in the eye and go, hey, actually, I think you're wrong. I don't agree with you. That's not it, being intolerant. Intolerance is this. Intolerance is the inability to live peaceably with somebody of an opposing conviction. This is fascinating to me. There is a fruit of the Spirit that exists for the sole purpose to be for somebody that is of an opposing conviction. Meaning the Holy Spirit is going, I am here to rescue and save man. And even if they don't come to my truth, the truth that is the truth, I still am going to fill this space with the fruit of the Spirit of forbearance and self-control. You say, you say, Tyler, where did, where did Jesus use this kind of restraint? And I, I, there's this passage of scripture that has just been just on my mind as I've been considering dealing with this space of being silent in this space. It's in Matthew chapter 26, 54. It won't come up on the screen because I just wanna reference it. Jesus is about to be arrested and crucified. Guards come to arrest him and his disciples take to violence. They see the guards coming to take Jesus and they turn to violence. They fill this space with hostility and Peter cuts a guy's ear off. 
Jesus puts the ear back on, uh, heals the guy. And he looks at Peter and he says something that's fascinating. He just goes, Peter, if I wanted that to be the way that we react when somebody is opposed to us, don't you know that I could call out on my father and have over 12 legions of angels here? Not just to rescue me, but to do work on all the people who oppose me. Passion translation doesn't actually say it like that, but it does talk about 12, 12 legions of angels. And so, so for me, you go, Jesus preached the message and lived the message out of compassion. In three years of ministry, he preached a message that, hey, I'm the good shepherd. Then he acted in this compassion. And he, said, he says, uh, he, goes to the, he goes to the cross and is crucified by those who are opposing him. And then he says, while he is hanging on the cross, Jesus, knowing full well at any point in time, if he's like, I don't like this, he can call 12 legions of angels. And he's looking out at people who are mocking him. He's looking at people who are against him. He's looking at people who put him on that cross. And he knows full well that he has accurate conviction that he is the king of kings, the son of God. He is everything that he claims to be. He knows that not only does he have a truth, but it is the right truth and everybody else is wrong. And while he hangs on the cross, he looks at the person with the hammer in their hand who nailed his hands to the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. Isaiah 53 It says in verse seven, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth, even though he was the one who had truth. Conviction without being completely grasped equally with compassion is for us to be silent. We must walk with these things in tandem. You know why? Because God didn't just give us a good message. He called us to be good messengers. In other words, not just to speak this truth, but to say the truth as if it was coming from his mouth. And when we still curse God, he loved us. We do not have the rights if we are to be followers of Jesus. We do not have the rights to operate and live in a way that is not appropriate to this gospel message of being a compassionate one. Not just in knowing the truth and saying it clearly, but saying it with a tone of compassion. You say, Tyler, you're watering down, you're watering down the gospel with this grace message and with the compassion. This is not a call for you to water down conviction. Again, tolerance, forbearance is not you surrendering your conviction and coming to this side. It's not you watering it down and you meeting in the middle with somebody and creating a new conviction. This is not a message to water down and say, just ignore people's sin. This is a message that says, stop ignoring the sinner. We don't ignore when somebody is wrong. We can tell them that they're wrong, but we're gonna do it in a way that is filled with peace and joy. You know what I, the law of sowing and reaping just sticks with me. You know what happens when you sow the fruit of the spirit in this space between us? You know what tends to happen? There's somebody who really likes this fruit. The Holy Spirit shows up. I have found that when the Holy Spirit shows up, I don't have to say a word. I can restrain myself and say, King of glory, you come and fill the space with love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. We are reconcilers of the gospel. And when we see hurt, we rush into the space and we offer healing and wholeness because this is the God who offered us this kind of gift. 
And when we find somebody who's opposing to us and there's a space between us, we do not allow this divide to be filled with hostility, anger, frustration, or hatred. We sow the fruit of the Spirit in this space. We hold our convictions and we speak it out with compassion in our hearts because we, we are the compassionate ones. And if you're here today and you've never met Jesus before in your life, I just want you to know that he is sitting on your row right now and he wants to be the God that rushes into whatever space you're dealing with. You have not gone too far. The pains that you are feeling right now, he cares about and he wants to do something about them. Do not leave here without receiving from the one who is compassionate. Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious one, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving your sins and your wickedness and rebellion. There is nothing you can do that can rip you from his clutch. He loves you desperately and he wants to be in this space with you right now. And so if you're here today and you wanna know more about this Jesus, I would love to talk to you about this Jesus because he met me in the space that I was in. And he radically transformed my life. And so with every bow, uh, head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you're saying, Jesus, I wanna know you like this. I don't wanna feel condemnation or shame anymore. I don't wanna feel this kind of pain. And I certainly don't wanna try and shoulder this pain by myself. Would you, would you show me this rush of compassion that Tyler is talking about? Would you come into this space and would you help me? Would you heal me? Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins or anything that I've done wrong to hurt people or to hurt you? Would you forgive me and make me whole? Jesus, I thank you for this church and I thank you for this community that we are going to be incredibly focused on reaching just one. Every single one of us is going out and we are looking for the one that is near and dear to your heart. Those who are hurting the most, those who are far away, we wanna press into that mess and we want to reconcile. We want to be reconcilers of this gospel. Would you help empower us to do that? Let us sow seeds that produce the fruit of your spirit of love and compassion and forbearance and self-control. Let us speak peace where there was once hostility. In Jesus' name. Amen.